Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Let's go back to Peter and say, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. You know, the other, the other Gospels um, will, will show Jesus calling Peter and Andrew out of the boat, okay, and that's great, and I think we do hear that too, but here it is, we remember that Andrew called his brother and said, we found him, and you don't say, we found something like that, unless you probably had been looking for it. So these were men who, although they were fishermen, and we can say, you know, uh, business, probably their own boat, business owners, okay, their father's boat, um, but they studied the word, and they were looking for Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon, son of John, or, you know, we hear him as Simon Bar-Jonah, son of John, you will be called Cephas. And then the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We're going to remember this when we talk about him a little later. Uh, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> we get a little skepticism. Kevin. Uh, just a quick in passing, Cephas is Aramaic for rock. Yeah. So it's the origin of the name Peter, which is derived from the Greek Petros, Petros. which means rock. And then, of course, again, when we get to Matthew 16, and Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church, our, our Catholic brethren interpret that to mean Peter. Protestants say it's on the faith that Peter was was that rock of faith. But you're right. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Uh, let's see where we are. Nazareth. Oh, good. Go ahead. Because you said that. Yes. The thing to understand is that in Greek they make the distinction. They have singular and plural, second oh. person pronouns. And when he says you the second time, to indicate on you I will build my church, he's talking to the full group of apostles. He's Thank not you. just talking about Peter. Thank you. Yeah. And so we have those discrepancies in the kingdom. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. So um, when Nathaniel says that, can anything good come out of, of Nazareth? I love Philip's answer. Well, come and see. <laughs> Didn't try to argue him into it. Just come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus said, I saw you while you were still sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Come on in, John. Thank you. Then Nathanael declares, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. So what we have here is incredible turnings. These men who are called, we see Nathaniel turning from, from a skepticism to faith, but what we see is a, a, an exuberance. Let's call it exuberance. I mean, we kind of joked last week that after 
Hester's chip and flip, we weren't going to have anything hilarious here, but we would have outrageous stories. And, that, and, the, and isn't this outrageous? I mean, just up and say yes, leaving John the Baptist, whom they followed, and turning to Jesus, turning to Jesus and leaving other things, people behind. So let's go on. That's, that's, we just kind of want to um, um, remember who these guys are. Okay. So where are they now? Well, we know where they are now, but what happened to them? Okay, James, son of Zebedee. This is James, the one with John, the James and John, Peter, James, and John at the Transfiguration, in the garden, the inner circle, sons of Zebedee. Um, James is referred to as James the Great or James the Elder. In church history, that's how he's talked about. Um, he's got the scallops. And I thought maybe it was just about baptism, but what, what I learned in reading that his symbol is this, is because he actually was one of the first to go out and become a pilgrim evangelist. And so I guess you carried a scallop shell so you could drink <laughs> more easily. But anyway, there he is. Um, he would be the first of the apostles to die. And, and why don't we look at that quickly, Acts 12, 1 to 2. And if somebody gets there and you're using the Bible, the handout Bible, you just yell out the page for those who maybe are having trouble fingering through. And if somebody else would be willing to read Acts 12, 1 to 2 in just a loud voice so these mics up here can pick you up for our friends who are watching online. Page 920. Thank you, John. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. No, that's good. He went off to Spain. Uh, the Apostle Paul had talked about wanting to get to Spain. We think he got there. There's some little bit of debate on that. But anyway, there he is. James, son of Zebedee, met his brother, John, was the only one of those first 12, uh, well, other than Judas Iscariot, but including Matthias, who comes along, who John will be the only one who dies a natural death, his brother. So... So John lives to maybe the 90s, and his brother has died, as our handout shows, but in the, the 40s. Okay, Apostle James Lesser and Bartholomew, it was hard to get pictures of either one. Well, James is easier, and frankly, there's question about who James the Lesser is. Yes. Is he James, son of Alphaeus, about whom almost nothing is written other than the few times he pops up in the Gospels. We don't know much about, we have a lot of legend. Um, but this is the James that I tend to think we're talking about. James the just or lesser, who is Jesus' brother. Okay, James, and oh, here's, yeah, here's the one we have to. This is what... If, if I don't know who it is, and, and scholars disagree whom James the Lesser is. So it's either Jesus' brother or James, son of Alphaeus. I want to go with James the Just or J- 
Jesus' brother because I love so much. We, we read this one night or talked about it in our small group, Kevin and the, oh, Seltzers. Yeah. <laughs> and here is what Eusebius, writing in early 4th century, says that Hegesippus, historian, who lived immediately after the apostles, and, and it, Eusebius says he gives the most accurate account in the fifth book of his memoirs. Listen to this. James, and that's why I like this picture. James alone was permitted to enter into the holy place, priest, for he wore not woolen, but linen garments. And he was in the habit of entering alone into the temple and was frequently found upon his knees begging forgiveness for the people, for the people, for the Jews, so that his knees became hard like those of a camel. I got awfully soft knees. (laughs) Knees so hard, I mean, this was legendary, in consequence of his constantly bending them in his worship of God and asking forgiveness for the people. A bold proclamation, the first thing. And the second thing that the the martyrdom of Stephen sets up for us in these four weeks is bold proclamation and the idea that there is an eternal perspective to whatever is going on. And that's what we get in these martyrs. And so... Here we're reminded the eternal perspective isn't only about me, am I going to go to heaven if I die for Jesus? That, and we're going to hear that kind of stuff, but that's not what this is about. This is about Jesus being Lord of heaven and earth. And as the story of James tells us, that Eusebius brings out, that he cares so much about destination that he's begging forgiveness of God for the people of Israel. John. Maybe you know this, but I can't remember. Which James, I'm thinking maybe this one, was the head of the church? In yes, Jerusalem? yes, this is the one. We, and in 1 Corinthians, uh, I can't remember the verse, and I think I've got it written down. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, this is, is it 15? No, it can't be 15. <laughs> Acts 15, not 1 Corinthians. Okay. That, that when Paul is out there and Gentiles come to faith, and even sees the Holy Spirit fall on them, he goes back to the council in Jerusalem, and James the Just, and we know this is James the Just, whether James the Lesser is James the Just, Jesus' brother James, head of the church in Jerusalem, is the one who gives, I mean, he's kind of like the Supreme Court Justice. <laughs> he, he gives the council the word that they will abide by. Kevin? But there's a trick to this too. Okay. Because the first bishop of Jerusalem, of Jerusalem was was James son of Zebedee. So if you asked, was James the bishop? Yeah. Well, which James? Yeah. No. No. They you're right. James, you're right. They were both James and succession. Right. They were both martyred in the position. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're yeah. right. Thank you. Thank you. You are absolutely right. And so it does get confusing on all these Jameses. <laughs> Thank you. Let's move on to the next one. What to call what I'm Jim. Jim, Jimbo, Jimmy. Okay, here's what we... But there's a turn then in the persecution that happens. At first, it's the Jews persecuting the Jewish believers. Then, of course, Rome gets involved. 
So it happened, this is what Eusebius writes, that this man, Nero, the first to be announced publicly as a fighter against God, was led on to slaughter the apostles. It is related that in his reign, Paul was beheaded in Rome itself, and that Peter was also crucified. And the cemeteries there, still called by the names of Peter and Paul, confirm the record. So let's remember this. This is a, and the quick reminder, we won't go there now, but if, we, if you read in the book of the Revelation, Babylon is, you know, um, subterfuge. It's, it's a name that is meaning Rome. So when you read, um, and so, and of course, John, did you want to say something? Okay. So this, we want to remember now, now things turn and we'll have, another 250 years of persecutions and they're not Rome does not have a law against Christianity. Rome had always come in and allowed the religious people in fact Rome supplied synagogues to the Jews in areas that they were. Rome just insisted that you not turn your back on the emperor. Okay? Because from Caesar Augustus time I mean Alexander's time and then down through the Caesars, we have this identification of at least the office and possibly the man in some of their minds with divinity. And so to turn your back on the empire, and we'll hear this in the next two weeks with the two bishops, means that you don't care about the state, that you're turning your back on your very neighborhood and your very community. But Eusebius lets us know he's known as a fighter of God. So Peter. Um, yeah. You know, the, the stories go that he was um, crucified upside down. Here's what Tertullian, and, he, and he's late 3rd century. Tertullian, early church father, born in 155. How happy is its church, and he's writing about the apostles, on which apostles poured forth all their doctrine along with their blood, where Peter endures a passion like the Lord's. And then a little while later, see what she, the church, has learned, what taught, what fellowship has had with even our churches in Africa. He's from Carthage. One Lord, and this this may remind you of some things we say in worship, One Lord God, does she acknowledge, the creator of the universe, and Christ Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, the Son of God, the creator, and the resurrection of the flesh. The law and the prophets she unites in one volume with the writings of evangelists and apostles. Because remember, when Peter and John and the apostles are around, they only have the Tanakh, what we call the Old Testament. And so then Tertullian is reminding us, ah, but we get those memoirs of the apostles and some of those letters, and they unite the Old and New Testaments. The law and the prophets she unites in one volume with the writings of evangelists and apostles from which she drinks in her faith. This she seals with the water of baptism, arrays with the Holy Ghost, feeds with the Eucharist, and cheers with martyrdom. To hear Tertullian writing about those martyrs and reminding us it's the proclamation that they went to their deaths for. Origen, 
who is just a little later than Tertullian, who was born in 184, says, gives us, Peter was crucified at Rome with his head downward as he himself had desired to suffer. And I said last week, it's important to me to look at, this is, okay, this is, Origen is writing, and Eusebius gives us his writings, and we do, we'll look at Origen's exhortation to martyrdom next week, but they're more contemporaneous with what's happening in the church, and so I like it that we can get some historical details from those, I'll call them primary source. He's not there when Peter dies, but he's very, very close. This is, this is, um, I, this one may be a little more legendary. Clement of Alexandria, about whose writings we don't have now, but Eusebius quotes him, says that when the blessed Peter saw his own wife led out to die, and legend says her name was Concordia, we're not sure, he rejoiced because of her summons and her return home. And called to her, you just have to do this, very encouragingly and comfortingly, addressing her by name and saying, remember the Lord. An eternal perspective there, along with bold proclamation. So anyway, I thought I'd give us that. That's a little more legendary because we don't really have Clement, although Eusebius does talk about him. Let's see who's next. Oh, Andrew. Oh, I'm sorry, Paul. Of course, Paul. Um, love this painting. I think you get a chance to go see it one day if you haven't already. Remember, though, what Paul wrote. I mean, Paul dies with a sword in Rome, again under Nero. But let's remember in this, um, we won't go there, but 2 Timothy 3, writing. To Timothy, this is what Paul had said to young Timothy. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, he's reminding younger Timothy, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. There's, there's such an expectation of persecution. And we went back to some of those verses last week. You know, Jesus' warning. We heard it in, in the Beatitudes last week in worship that we should expect persecution. And so now, you know, and, and one reason I'm drawn to this is, uh, you know, we've got six kids, 16 grandkids. I don't know what's ahead for them. But, it, but I think... It is our, now I'll get preachy, I think it's our job as, as the church, as those who are older in the church, so a lot of us with gray hair, to be preparing those who are younger for persecution that may come. And that's what Paul was doing, 2 Timothy 3. Andrew, brother of Simon, had called Simon, we heard that. What, what does it say here? I can never remember where everybody dies. Uh, Western Greece. We're going to skip through a little bit. Matthias, he's the one in Acts 1, who by, whom by lots is chosen to take Judas Iscariot's place. His name means gift of God. I think that's kind of cool that his parents <laughs> named him that, and then he becomes the gift from God in that casting of lots to be the 12th apostle. 
Um, crucified probably in Ethiopia or killed with an axe. We're not sure. I mean, that's why some of these things come down to us and we're not exactly sure. But, yeah, there's an axe. He's often portrayed with an axe. Different, different um, persecutions. Uh, preached in Judea and Ethiopia. Let's go on so we can get to Peter. Well, I mean, Peter's words. Philip, who introduced Bartholomew or Nathaniel to Jesus. Some of the things um, that Philip is known for, besides talking, we're going to go on. You've got the references there because we have to get to to 1 Peter. Matthew. This comes from a little tiny book. I'm so glad they had such a good photograph of it. Matthew, there's an angel um, helping him understand the connection between the Old Testament and what he's writing about Jesus. We don't know. Uh, We have legends, but we don't know. Was he beheaded or stoned? We don't know. Simon the Zealot, sometimes referred to as the Canaanian. Um, Various legends. He may have worked with Jude. And Jude is, that's the other Judas that's in our list, but he didn't want to be known as Judas anymore. The church doesn't remember him as Judas because there's a confusion with Judas Iscariot. So he's known as Jude. His partner would be known as Jude or Thaddeus. Okay. Probably not the writer of the book. A lot of scholars say the book of Jude is written by Jesus' brother, Jude. Again, we, you know, we just don't know. Here's Bartholomew or Nathaniel who had been so skeptical. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Clinging there. Okay. And you see a knife in the first one, and this is his symbol. Yeah. Because we think he was. I don't even want to. I don't want to say it. Okay. Skinned alive. Let's move on. Let's get Thomas. And the apostles, this one's hard to see because there's so much white, but you can see Jesus allowing Thomas to touch his hand. Um, but I like this one of Thomas better out of the Cameroon. And this artist, I always have to say it because I'm so impressed with it. We don't know the name of the artist who does these paintings. He, he, he puts Jesus Mafa because they are the Mafa people. And he just wants Jesus and that in that community to be uplifted, not himself. But I love that one because Jesus is so willing and so patient and so loving with Thomas there. I had to go with that one. Okay. John, son of Zebedee, writer of the book of the Revelation, um, only apostle. Not to die. Uh, I mean, not to die. You know, he's. Oh, do we have one? I can't remember if I have another picture of him. Yeah, there. On the island of Patmos. You can see a seven headed lampstand or something. I'm not sure what that is. That's really weird. Um, and I'm not an art, artistic person, so it's difficult for me. But taking the words, hearing them, 
the eagle often associated with John because it's it's like his, his if the four evangelists are symbolized by different animals, John's is this soaring one about Jesus, the Christ, the incarnate God who is over everything. We had a uh, lecture. Oh, speak up a little bit, John. We had a lectern in one of my churches, which was basically an evil. Yes. On which the Bible said. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think, gosh, I think when I was growing up, too, Kevin. The other thing, yes, the eagle, because he's the theologian, so he's, he's, he's telling us of the higher things more directly. Absolutely. But also, he wasn't not martyred for lack of trying. Yes. Uh, um, he was boiled <laughs> in oil by a rather angry. Ruler. Do you do you believe that one? Do you I believe that, that he was boiled in oil? Yeah, I I, I kind of discounted that one because they say he lived and then went to Ephesus. But go ahead, tell us. I I, 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 I respect you, so I appreciate it's that. I tend to I tend to believe it. Um, it's it's just it it sounds like John. It's, a son of thunder. Son of thunder yeah. <laughs> James and John, you sons of thunder. <laughs> What's the mark on his head on the left hand? I don't know. Maybe Kevin knows. <laughs> I can't really see it because of the lights. On the left one? Yeah. On the left hand. Oh, you mean the the sort of circle? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's the that's that's the bulge for the the, the brain does that at the frontal lobe. So what he's showing yes. is, is that he has a considerable frontal lobe. Well, that part, yeah, no, but then there's that other, the smaller yeah. part. You don't think that's just curls? Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We need someone in here who's an art historian. We'll look at it after. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Okay. Here he is. Um, Caesar Augustus, remember his name because we, we hear about it every year at Christmas time. Had there, they may have been there may have been more than one of these, but we do have one today. And this is this is actually a picture of the praying inscription. Inscription on a stella. Okay. The birthday of our God Augustus <coughs> was the beginning of the gospel for the world. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> or would you all read Mark one? The beginning of the gospel about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. A lot of scholars think Mark, who was well traveled, may have begun his gospel as an in your face <laughs> to Rome. Very possibly, this inscription was in more places than just one. And Mark may very Mark is the one who has the centurion at the end say that truly this was the Son of God. Very possibly, several of the scholars who who write about this inscription say Mark was speaking directly against Rome and the Caesars. And remember, it's this kind of thinking that then Nero and Domitian and the other emperors follow through. So that's what we have. If we're talking about bold proclamation, when we are thinking about in the Roman Empire, it's going to come down to the emperor or Jesus. Who rules this world? And that's what this is about. And so that's, that's, we want to begin to hear this now 
And, and let's look at this now about Nero. Okay, again, and Eusebius says this too. Once Nero's power was firmly established, he plunged... Oh, man, can you imagine having this as your epitaph? He plunged into nefarious vices and took up arms against the God of the universe, the first to be declared enemy of the deity. But that's what we're going to get when we, when we see Ignatius and we see Polycarp next week. Bold proclamation of who Jesus is. Jesus is the ruler of all creation, heaven and earth. Okay, and, and, this, is just, and this came out better than I... On my computer screen, it was a little fuzzy, but it's come out better. This is just, and I gave it to you on your handout, just to say, to go home and see. We get to see where the apostles went and where many of them died. Um, you know, Acts 1 8, you know, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So that's what we get. But now we are going to turn to the idea of this crowning. Remember, Stephen's name means crown or crowned one. And, and in the later class, it was uh, Pastor Phil Keenard who said, There's this thing up there that looks like a, a hot air balloon. And I hadn't even noticed it. I'm just not a detailed person. I'm like, oh, that's, his, that's the crown coming down from heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For Stephen. Yeah. 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 yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Isn't that cool? But what we get from Stephen's story again, let's remember, bold proclamation with an eternal perspective. And that's what we're going to see. So now we're going to open our Bibles, finally, right? And begin to look at this book. Almost everybody says it was Peter who was writing it. And I'm, I'm there. I, I like saying it was Peter. Um, and when, if you get there, would you yell out the page number? 1014. 1014. So Peter dies mid-60s, I think. And is that what we say here? Yeah. No, Peter is, yeah, 60s. So we know that this, if this is Peter, and we, I think it is, that we've got someone writing in the time of Nero. Okay? And we're just going to look at three sections, and we probably won't be able to get through all of the fourth one. Somebody be willing to read First Peter 1, just 1 and 2. We'll start there. Oh, thank you, Jim. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Thank you, Jim. What we have here is Peter starting out. I mean, first of all, he says, uh, he's, he's writing, and, and the scholars debate, is he writing to Jewish Christians in those places, a diaspora? Because remember, some these places are listed on Pentecost morning, people from there, okay? Or is he writing to Gentiles? Um, the arguments go both ways. But they're so, I, I tend to go, he's writing to the Jewish Christians in those places, because right out of the gate, he gives us a reference to Jesus' blood. And a lot of the the commentators I looked at tied this to Moses 
in Exodus 24 with the covenanting of the people, taking the blood of the animal and pouring it on the altar and then sprinkling it on the people. The sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. That's just something to think about. Did Jim? Well, when he says elect exiles of the dispersion, that sounds to me, elect exiles, elect means they were part of a select group. Chosen people. Exiled, they were sent out. The dispersion, something happened in Israel, and people fled, mm-hmm. and they went to all these places. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The, the, the commentators who who want to go with the Gentile argument, I'll just say, I think it really comes out of the second chapter, which we're not going to go to, but we, uh, which Pastor Linda's here, which Pastor Winderhoff, I think it was Pastor Winderhoff, in his sermon, didn't he refer to chosen people? Yes, okay. For your chosen people, a royal priesthood, once you were no people, now you're God's people. And those, those commentators like to say, see, this isn't the Jew. Sure it is. Sure it is. Once they were no people, God called Abraham. <laughs> Once they were no people, God called Moses and to bring them out of Egypt. Once you were no people, now you're God's people. So that's where I am. But you're right, Joe. I'm with you on this. But anyway, the reference to obedience and sprinkling of blood had, will, will set up a theme for this book, okay? And if we're thinking about martyrs, that's, that's um, I, I think, a theme that really comes through. Um, a, a Catholic theologian says that this book, First Peter, goes beyond speaking of suffering as mere clenched teeth endurance. And I really like that. It's not talking about how strong are you, but, but how strong is this God, this Jesus, the one who has chosen you, who has, who, whom you said you want to follow, and who now sprinkles you with his blood. Instead, uh, Donald Sr. says, the author affirms that even in the midst of suffering, the Christian has a, I like this, a right to joy. Has a, one of the gifts the Bible frequently associates with the experience of salvation. So if we set up this book, we're going to see a lot about suffering sprinkled through it, and we're going to see the blood of Jesus sprinkled through it with the message that we heard earlier that these people expect persecution. And again, this is not empire-wide. Most often, the, uh, one of the commentators, I don't remember who said, this is... It's usually localized, and I mean that's what we see with, with Paul in Ephesus. You know, um, they, they're upset because now those silversmiths aren't going to get their money, and and um, or, or somebody's not bowing down to the emperor. We saw it with Daniel and the three men in the fiery furnace. It's not a a, a general. Well, okay, there it was with with Esther. It was a general law that had been written, the laws of the Medes and Persians. But often it's just a localized disturbance that the local guy wants to take care of right now, so let's silence these people. Let's go on. Verse 3. Would someone read 3 to 9? 1 Peter, 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Any reactions to those words? Imagine getting this letter. The little trials, um, same word as to test. Um, Debbie, I know you like in the Lord's Prayer, the version you like, and not lead us not into temptation, but uh, save us from the time of trial. Same word. Yeah, yeah. Um, What we have here, same word too, that Jesus spoke to the three in the garden when he found them sleeping. And he said, could you not watch with me? Remember, this is Peter, okay, it's right there. Could you not watch with me? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation, trial, testing. Same word. Peter, I don't know, but I have the feeling that... If you or I, if any one of us had been in that garden and Jesus spoke those words to us, they would be imprinted on our brains in in ways that other words that he spoke may not have been. And so it's very possible Peter is even thinking of that at this moment. Um, At this point in time, a couple of the commentators saying, probably the only persecution they're suffering that they've suffered in the past when this letter is written has been the kind of persecution you or I may feel. Uh, an economic, a social, uh, nothing that has to do with the fiery trials he's going to write about later in the book with the advent of what Nero was doing. But you can see that he focuses on joy and on hope. John, were you going to say something? No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't like to overlook anything you all would say because I'm sure you hear things that I'm not even hearing. Um, for the Roman set of virtues, they saw hope as illusory. As uh, you're just making it up. Uh, you know. Uh, maybe. Maybe like we heard uh, 40 years ago. You know. You got Jesus, I got my guitar, that kind of thing. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> I heard that back in the seventies when we were in church. Um, that you know, you can you can put your hope in anything. That's nice if it makes you feel better. But but Peter is writing about a living hope, and this hope then goes throughout this letter. We won't go all the way to twelve. Well, we we'll skip. 
10 and 11, just because he's going back, and I love that, those verses because he says the prophets who wrote about him, they, they were wondering what are they writing about, and they longed to know these things, but God didn't tell them, but now Jesus has come. So then, um, whoops, I'm missing this. That would be okay. another notation for the Jewish audience. Yes, that's what I think, John. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. <coughs> Let's go to chapter 3. So chapter 1, as far as I'm concerned, Peter is saying, make sure you get it straight in your head what you're really talking about. Let's, let's know what we're proclaiming. Let's look at chapter 3, 13 to 17. And, and suffering, if you go home and read this book this afternoon, this week or something, you will see suffering come throughout the book. So let's go to 3, 13 to 17. He's, he's written about wives and husbands, how we are to live this life, how we are to be holy, how we once were no people, but now we're a chosen people who are to declare the praises of God. Okay, that's back in two. But now we get to verse 13 in chapter three. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? He's saying, yeah, don't just suffer for, you know, for, 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 what, for, being, for having done something wrong. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. He's taking us back to Isaiah 8. And if you can hold your place in Peter and go back to Isaiah 8, and and if you don't get there, that's okay, because I can get there. Here we go. Um, The Lord has told Isaiah to tell the Jews that he, the Lord, is sending Assyria, mighty army. The Assyrians would put hooks in your upper mouth and lead you off into captivity. But he's sending them against the Jews, okay? And the, but then the Lord says, he wants Isaiah to say this. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Ramalia, actually he's starting at six. Therefore the Lord is going to bring against them the mighty flood waters of the river of the king of Assyria. Then we go down to verse 11. But the Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me. Don't you love that? Obviously God doesn't have a hand. But Isaiah felt God so near to him and reassuring him warning me not to follow the way of this people. He said, do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. Remember the psalm this morning? Do not forsake me. When I'm called to obedience, don't utterly forsake me, Lord. So don't fear what they fear. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. But then this, and he will be a sanctuary for both the houses of Israel. He will be a stone that causes men to stumble, which Peter has already quoted in this book, in the middle of what we're not reading, and a rock that makes them fall. And of course there's a little a little wordplay here because as Kevin's pointed out, Peter's name <laughs> means stone to rock, okay? And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. 
Peter is calling on them to remember what the prophet Isaiah had said. Don't fear what they fear. But in your hearts, verse 14, but in your hearts, uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 14, 15, I'm sorry. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always, and we've heard this often at, at King of Glory, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That same, that same hope that he had talked about in the beginning, which isn't just a wish. It's not an I, I hope this, I hope it'll snow for Christmas, you know. This is a living hope. The way, the truth, the life, the living hope in Jesus. The reason, the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for evil. Again, um, you know, it was, it was said of, of the Gospels that what we, some, a couple of uh, writers that I've read in the past, commentators, theologians, have talked about the Gospels as bringing us a Jesus then, okay, the past tense, here's what he did, and a Jesus now, right here right at this table, right in this Roman villa where we are celebrating the Eucharist with Thanksgiving. That's what that means. We are coming together around bread and wine, the command given, eat my body, drink my blood, the Jesus now, the living hope. That's what Peter's talking about. And he's saying, hey, you know, you, you and I both know that to suffer for doing harm, that's right. But folks, we may have to suffer for doing what's right. So now let's get to the end. First Peter 4. Oh boy, we can't, we can't read all of this. Um, it, it starts out, therefore, and this is good for Veterans Day, therefore since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. And, and i got to say, I mean, Jim is here and others of you are veterans and, and I really appreciate it that we take the time to honor you, to honor those who serve. And I, you know, the couple of years that I taught at Fort Eustis, a religion class, I would, I would say to those military people in my class, I've never taken an oath on something that meant my life. And military people have. You take an oath that you're going to serve your country no matter what. That's what Peter's talking about here. You know, it is a military term. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Let's go down to verse 12, though, so we can finish out this chapter. But again, I, I recommend you read it. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. You hear that, that contrast between strange, meaning I didn't expect it, and the expectation of martyrdom that Peter is talking about. The, the writers say that it looks like things were changing. 
Okay, and we know Peter goes under Nero to die, as does Paul. So, so Rome is now coming down in certain localities. And for them, it, it, might, it might be fiery. Do, do you have fiery trials here? Or maybe I'm... Um, but rejoice, verse 13, that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. That's, that's tough for us. And we're going to hear that in the next two weeks. This, this idea of participating in the suffering of Christ. I want us to hear it from Peter because we know when Peter says this, he's not in any way saying that if you or I should die for our faith in Jesus Christ, that we are a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Obviously not. He's saying Jesus is the sacrifice. Somehow we participate in that suffering. And I want Kevin to talk about this. Verse 16. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey God? The the word here for time is kairos. And Kevin, you've just been part of kairos for the second time, going into prison ministry. And I'm, and I'm assuming you'd like to tell us what that term means. I'd be happy to. Thank you. Uh, it's a Greek term uh, as opposed to uh, calendar time or alarm clock time. Uh, Kairos refers to special time, which in the modern sense could be your birthday or a, or a feast day or one of those things. So it's the notion of time set aside for a special purpose. Yeah. A couple of the places I looked called it critical time, um, opportune. But I, but I love that you say it's not just the calendar. It's not just looking at your watch or having a little alarm go off. You know, there's something critical that's happening there, and that's why that ministry would use that terminology. Linda? I worked in a nursing home, and one of the residents there... Um, older man, had, was terribly uh, crippled up with, he'd been born with cerebral palsy. Yeah. He just, he could hardly talk, and this had been his whole life, um, that he had been so disabled. And I, I will never forget that the Catholic priest that came and talked at his funeral when he did die said that suffering was a ministry that Jesus did other things that we'd like to do, the teaching ministry, the healing ministry, the preaching ministry, all of those we take up with joy. But his most important ministry was suffering. And that people who suffer have a link to that very important ministry that that Jesus um, showed. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. We did not read the beginning of chapter 4, um, and we don't have time to because it's 1029, but we hear, that, we hear Peter say that he who suffers ceases to sin or is done with sin, and, and there's no commentator that thinks he means that now that person is absolutely sinless, but Peter goes on to talk about the focus of life. Not living this way, but living this way. And I think that Soldiers and sailors know that in the oath that means I'll serve no matter what comes. Okay, there's a focus. 
And, and yeah, a suffering ministry. Yeah, that's not one we usually would want to sign up for. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, I can't remember what we have on that. Yeah. Up at the top of page two on our handout, and then we'll close. And Robin Darling Young says, Early church writers across the board, she says, share these convictions. The sacrifice of martyrs publicly defeat the sacrifice of the Roman Empire. And I think we looked at that last week. Oh, that's terrible. Sorry. Male and female combatants needed intensive training for the battle, a training dependent on words and visible human examples, and the understanding of the liturgy. And, and she's talking about the liturgy in gathering together and going through God's word and prayer and table together, as well as what, what Origen called the liturgy in public, which would be the procession towards <clears throat> martyrdom. The understanding of the liturgy as the axis of earth and heaven and see it as a public sacrifice. And this is what she writes. The deaths of these martyrs came about as the consequence of the necessity to give testimony to Jesus. Bold proclamation. And what he represented, namely the kingdom of God and its arrival, to which all earthly powers, including Nero, Domitian, Caesar Augustus, whomever, would be submitted. And I love this because this fits King of Glory so well. And the reason for giving testimony was so that all people would believe and become part of the earthly society, the elect, that was itself the entry to heaven to the eternal, so that all may know the love of Jesus. Right. So clear proclamation of the gospel message with that eternal perspective. And we don't have time to read Origin. We'll do it next week. And the questions are there for you to think about. And in Hebrews 11, too, writing about the martyrs who'd gone before. But if you don't mind, I think this is a good closing prayer. So let us sing. Oh, may thy soldiers, faithful, true, and bold, fight as the saints who nobly fought of old, and win with Thank you. Thank you. See you next week. Enjoy your week.
Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.